Welcome to the Achieve Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Feldman, and each month we explore the research, strategies, successes, and even the failures behind some of today's best fundraising and marketing for causes. As we explore each one of these, we'd like to invite different types of guests that will explore their own unique takes on what really works today and will leave us a little intrigued on what they're working on for the future. This podcast is supported in partnership with the Festival of Children Foundation. Today, we'll be visiting with Jen Frazier. She's the director of college organizing for One. She joined One in 2012. She oversees and leads all of the organizing and campaign strategies for One's US network of student activists. She graduated from the College of the Holy Cross in 2009, where she founded and led an Oxfam America Club, and to this day, still working in activism, as you can tell, with One. We're looking forward to this discussion with Jen Frazier on the Achieve podcast. Jen, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. So um, as the director of college organizing, I am sure that it's been an interesting path to get to where you are today. Are you like the biggest activist out there in the world or what? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I think that's what I've got in my bio. So yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's the second tagline, right? Director of college organizing, biggest activist in the world. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, let's, let's go ahead and uh, jump into the background. How did you get to become that person for one? Yeah, so I mean, I think in high school and even going into college, I was really involved with direct service work, you know, volunteering regularly in my local soup kitchen and things like that. And I always knew I wanted to be involved in making the world a better place, as kind of cliche as that sounds. But the only way I had really ever been taught to do that is through charity and direct service, which are, of course, valuable and important things. Um, but when I, I went to College of the Holy Cross in Massachusetts, a Jesuit school where social justice is a big part of their mission and culture, and it was really there that I got more involved with political campaigning and activism and social justice, and I became passionate about feminism and women's issues and, you know, started advocating to my elected leaders and attending protests and all those good things. Um, and, you know, just kind of snowballed from there. And I, I got really involved with Oxfam America and just got really hooked on the concept of advocacy. And I learned that what I was doing on my college campus was organizing, you know, basically building power by developing relationships and bringing people together for a common cause. So I realized, you know, at that kind of crucial time that through grassroots organizing and through advocacy, you can have a bigger impact than if you were just acting alone. So I got really hooked on all of that and was confident that that was what I wanted to do with my life. And after college, moved down to Washington, D.C., where I worked at a couple different nonprofits um, doing grassroots organizing before I made my way to one about five years ago to become a campus organizer. And today I'm the director of one's college program. And I really love my job. All right, Jen, I, I am curious, is there some sort of secret sauce to the work that you're doing? I mean, have you, you, you've had to have figured something out by now that, that definitely works for your favor. Yeah, you know, one, we, we talk a lot about something called the four P's, and we call that kind of our secret sauce for the work we do. So the four P's are pop, politics, policy, and public. Pretty and so easy to remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I'll explain what that means. So so POP is, you know, as I mentioned, we were co-founded by Bono of U2. Um, you know, music and artists and talent have always been an important piece of our work. So influencers and celebrities and talent and social media, you know, you, you, you get those people helping you get the word out to the masses. 
Then you've got politics. So developing relationships and with and influencing politicians, working with politicians across both sides of the aisle to create and or support legislation. You've got policy, so research on global poverty, having data and facts to inform our work and what we choose to advocate on. And then public, which is kind of my wheelhouse at one, which is about educating and mobilizing everyday people from all walks of life around the globe to use their voices and advocate. You know, as I mentioned, I, I lead one's college engagement program, the One Campus program, and um, it's been a critical part of one's work since the founding of our organization almost 15 years ago. And that's because we know that college students are such a powerful political force. You know, campuses are such conducive settings for movement building. And throughout history, we've seen that social movements have been born on college campuses. So I'm really passionate about that. And then we've also got a community volunteer program in the U.S. where, um, you know, anyone can lead a team of volunteers. They call them our congressional district leaders. Um, and then, of course, we've got tons of folks working in our, our all of our global markets across the globe as well. And so it really is this global movement of people, again, from all walks of life coming together to to advocate and create change. So one one sort of follow up question to that is that do you have to have pop? Because I know that there's going to be some listeners here that are going to say, you know, we're never going to be in that position. So what would be your answer to that person? Listen, I think at the end of the day, the most important piece of this is just everyday citizens getting out there and right. yep. using what they have at their disposal, which is their voice to advocate to elected leaders. Um, I think that is that's really the critical piece. But certainly the pop is just always really helpful. And I think at one, it's it's an important piece of the work that we do, and it really helps us to open up that funnel and bring more people in and get the word out there. Uh, there's got to be something, something that you love the most and the least. What is that? <laughs> um, you know, I think the best part of the job for me is seeing one volunteers develop into activists and leaders who are having incredible impact on legislation directly because of their participation in our program. Um, working on one's campus program, I've gotten to see countless students sign up to get involved with one on a whim. And four years later, they're graduating college as sophisticated organizers who have built volunteer teams and educated hundreds of students on their campus about issues of extreme global poverty and generated hundreds of advocacy actions to their members of Congress. You know, and they've developed presentation skills and relationship building skills and leadership skills and most importantly, they've really made an impact on extreme poverty. And, you know, so I feel lucky to have had that experience in college myself. And I love that I get to be a part of a program that provides students with that same life-changing experience. Sure. So so you mentioned the, the, the sort of mission of one is around this extreme poverty concept. What, why, add the, why add the extreme? I and mean, what's the, is there a difference in poverty between one versus the extreme poverty level? Yeah, you know, extreme poverty is defined as people living on a dollar ninety or less per day. And why, why that number? Boy, very specific. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, I think that's kind of the number that we use. Um, and it's not to say that, you know, poverty, people living on two dollars a day aren't important or anything like that, but we really try to keep our focus on the most extreme of the extreme poverty, um, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa. You know, we try to stay focused and feel like that's where we can have impact. But um, of course, there's you know poverty here in the U.S. There's there's all sorts of different types of poverty, and 
um, those are important things to work on too, but we try to stay pretty focused and I think that allows us to be more effective. Sure, sure. Now there is something unique about the one model, right? You do not ask for money, is that right? Yeah, yeah. we, we always say we're not asking for your money, we're asking for your voice. And so um, we don't do any you know, fundraising from the public. We are all about getting people to use their voices to create change, you know, to speak up, to educate people on the issues we work on, um, but also to actually take action and do something about it by using their voices to advocate. Is it that you've got some great major donors and board members and everybody else that's supporting it? Or how, how does that work? We do. We're really fortunate to, um, we were co-founded by Bono of U2. And so, of course, that helps. But we've got um, a lot of really wonderful partners and donors who um, allow us to do the work that we do. So we're very fortunate. That's great. All right, so let's get into the thick of this uh, awareness and advocacy. Specifically, let's talk about today and what you're seeing. Uh, has has advocacy been sort of on a different trajectory in the last year or two? Has anything changed in the way that you are doing your job? So it's an interesting time in the world of campaigning because advocacy and activism have become more popular in the last year, I think, I, following I the yeah. 2016 presidential election. You know, more people are engaging in advocacy than we'd seen in recent years, which is great. But it also means the congressional offices are getting a huge volume of phone calls into their office and more people are showing up to town hall meetings. And, you know, it's impossible to get your question in, even if you do show up. And so it's simply harder to kind of cut through the noise in the world of advocacy, I think, these days. Um, and given that people have this newfound civic energy, it's more important than ever that, you know, you give people clear, tangible, easy ways to step up and do something. And sure. so we've been trying to do that. I think we are also seeing a lot of hostility in campaigns. You know, people are angry about a lot of different issues, which is completely understandable. But we see people becoming hostile to elected leaders and showing up to town hall meetings, you know, cussing them out. And that can actually be counterproductive to a cause. And so at one, our members are, are firm and relentless about what they're asking for, but they're also respectful and polite. And our volunteers build relationships with those congressional offices and they remember us and, you know, are welcoming and more likely to hear us out because they know we're not coming in for the with the pitchforks to verbally attack them. Yeah. Did, did you have to train? I mean, do you did in the recent year or so, have you had to come out with something or new resources for people on how to have a civil conversation with elected leaders? Yeah, I think, you know, it's something, honestly, we've always stressed, and it's always sort of our part of our training curriculum, if you will, but I think we've definitely been emphasizing it more than ever that, you know, we want to stay, we want to stay polite and respectful in order to get our message across, and um, we're a fiercely nonpartisan organization, and so we believe that, you know, extreme poverty has no political party, and we want to work with anyone on all sides of the aisle, both sides of the aisle, and everyone in between to get the job done, and so we really train our volunteers that, you know, regardless of their personal political views, um, whether they're on the left or the right, that, you know, we want to work with everyone and and be kind and respectful as we do so. Yeah, so this may kind of get to the, the success factor question, so... What in your mind is a successful campaign? I suspect civil discussion is one of those, but what makes a successful campaign for one? Yeah, I mean, it can look a little bit different depending on the campaign, but one of my favorite campaigns that we worked on in my time at One was um, our Electrify Africa campaign. 
So this is, you know, seven out of 10 people living in sub-Saharan Africa don't have reliable access to electricity. And that means jobs that are never created, hospitals that can't provide adequate medical care, much less save people's lives. Um, so one was kind of a pioneer in making energy poverty, quote unquote, something that people were talking about in international development community. And we got out there and did a ton of education and got this on people's radar, gave it a way to take action. So the Electrify Africa Act is a bill that helps provide 50 million people with access to electricity for the first time at no new cost to taxpayers. And our one members spent about three years advocating for this bill to pass. It wow. took two congressional cycles to get it through the House and the Senate and make its way to the president's desk for signature, which sounds like a long time, but it's actually really fast. No, for yeah, and social change, yeah, policy Yeah, change. exactly. It was a brand new piece of legislation, and it really took consistent, constant advocacy. And our trying to see, I have the number in front of me here. Our members generated over 190,000 actions. Those are letters, calls, petition signatures, in-person visits to lawmakers' offices over the course of those three years to make it happen. And we saw a member of the Congress uh, co-sponsor and support this bill literally as a direct result of one member's asking them to do so. So we'd achieved exactly what we set out to do, and it was just a really incredible victory and really need to see advocacy in action in such a tangible way. Um, so that's kind of an example. Yeah. And what parts of that campaign did you, would you say had the most success? Were there elements? Was it the petition signing thing? Was it the message? What aspect do you think really converted mm -hmm. the population to do something? I think it was the constant and steady drumbeat, which I think is a critical element to any campaign that you want to see be successful is, you know, it's not just one tactic on one day that's going to make the ultimate change. It's a constant, steady drumbeat. And I think that's the thing about advocacy is it is a long game. It's not something that happens overnight. It's not always easy to see your results right in front of you after you take an action. It takes time. But the consistency of these congressional offices hearing from people in the forms of handwritten letters and phone calls and tweets and showing up to their offices, all of those things over time builds momentum and builds support. And how, from your perspective, how do you excite people to keep going? Because I suspect there's some fatigue if you're consistently mm -hmm. messaging people. So what, what have you been doing to get people to continue to act? Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly right, Derek, is it is it can be hard to keep people motivated because, like I said, you know, advocacy campaigns are often about the long game. I think, you know, ultimately, of course, this, the ultimate measure of impact is did we do what we did, you know, we, we set out to sure, do. Sure. But because those things don't happen every day, we try to set benchmarks for ourselves and find little wins along the way to keep our membership engaged and energized. And so we'll set goals for how many actions we aim to get for any given campaign. And, you know, within, you know, by this spring, we want to have gotten X number of letters to the members of Congress. And we'll really communicate those goals and help our, our members feel bought into those goals. And then we're also able to track momentum we've built. So, you know, for example, a piece of legislation we were advocating, but our members may have helped get 40 additional senators to sign on to the bill as co-sponsors. Mm. That sets a strong foundation so that the next time the bill comes around, it's like it's more likely to garner support in Congress sure. faster because those 40 senators along the way. And I think that does help people, you know, feel energized and helping them know that their their work actually is having impact. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So so where is your viewpoint on the the low level actions, the the petition signing, the liking, the you know all mm -hmm. of that stuff? Now I have written about the one 
uh, model, which is, you know, it used to be, I don't know if it still is, the premium actions, the actions, the catalytic actions, all of those things. I, I mean, but what is your view and how does that a part of change or, or is it just around change? I think it is definitely a part of change. It, it's not it's not the only part of the change, but it's definitely an, a crucial part of it because you need those sort of, you know, petition signatures and click advocacy, sharing things on social media to sort of open up the funnel and bring people into your movement, and, um, you know, and, and to just kind of get their foot in the door with the advocacy. And I think that's a really important piece. But then you kind of bring people with you on this advocacy journey and they start getting more involved and they start doing more of at one we call them catalytic actions. And these are advocacy, our personalized communications directed at Congress. And so something like a form letter that you just sign is not going to have as much impact as a personalized letter where you sit down and tell your story about why you care about the issue you're talking about. That's really what is most going to resonate with that office and impact them because it shows them that you took the time and that you're a constituent that cares. But, you know, it's all it's all kind of a piece of the puzzle. And so we we kind of start on the advocacy spectrum by, you know, having the the masses, if you will. You know, we have um over 8 million member one members and so we've got people signing petitions and that's really important but then you know we bring people along the journey and um, have our, our volunteers and our volunteer leaders take those more um, you know high bar catalytic actions and we will also try to maximize the impact of things like petitions by actually having our volunteers hand deliver those petitions by showing up in the local congressional offices wow. to you know, be face to face and deliver them. And I think that really helps uh, just sort of increase the impact that those petition signatures have. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Now, th there's uh, I was talking to another campaigner in another organization and they said one of their strategies right now is to have some of their individuals focus on congressional uh, representatives that are outside of the districts historically. And the reason why is because they they want uh, other people to also show to this this representative that you know this is an issue of importance for the national country and as well as uh, you know th they want to target the right people are you doing that same kind of tactic as well or is it just contact your representative at this point yeah i mean i think it depends and there are certain times where that may strategically make sense because you know perhaps it's someone in a leadership position in Congress who, sure. you know, really needs to hear from folks across the country. But generally speaking, I would say we usually recommend that people really focus on their own uh, representative or senators. And mostly because, you know, those are the folks that they, you know, feel accountable to. I think um, the representatives and senators are generally going to take into account the most um, communications from their direct constituents because they know that they're the ones that are going to, you know, vote for them and they're the ones that they really need to pay attention to and that they ultimately work for. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you threw out a, a term that has had historical connotation, which is member, the, this concept of member. Um, you know, I, I always remember when my mom and dad would say we're card carrying members of something. <laughs> so how do you define a member to one? Yeah, so our members are folks who have raised their hand and said, yes, I want to be a part of this movement and have 
literally signed up to join our organization on our website. And so that's kind of the biggest funnel of um, folks that we have, you know, as a part of our movement and our membership. But then within there, we've got sort of lots of different subsets of folks doing, you know, taking action at varying levels. And so some of them, you know, for them, maybe just a couple times a year, they're following the emails and, you know, signing a petition and or sharing something on social media, and that's good for them. Others, we've got volunteer leaders who are, you know, are the one campus program that I run. Um, we've got students who serve as one campus leaders and run chapters on their college campuses and are, you know, out there spending hours each week organizing people around these advocacy campaigns. And the same goes for our, our community volunteers, our congressional district leaders. So there's really quite a wide array of sort of level of involvement within that membership. But at, at its very core, you know, a member is someone who has essentially signed up for our email list and said, you know, yeah, I want to be a part of this movement and I want to take action. Yeah, and, and is there or have you had to refine the definition internally? And and I guess a subsequent question would be is, are you in the consistent review of what it means to be a member? Because I know there's a lot of organizations who are struggling with that today. Yeah, I think it's something that is always, you know, in, at least in my time at one, it's something we definitely revisit and, and, you know, come back to and discuss. But it's actually stayed pretty consistent throughout our time at one. And I think we're pretty intentional about wanting to make sure there's space for anybody who wants to be a part of this movement and a part of this organization to, um, you know, be signed up as a member and we're not necessarily going to kick them out or anything if they're not taking a certain number of actions. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. Of course. So, so let's talk about trends and things before we, uh, before we end today. Um, yeah. what, what things are you sort of keeping your eye on right now in terms of awareness building and advocacy? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I mentioned, I had, uh, mentioned earlier sort of the trend of just sort of the popularity of advocacy, and I think that's definitely something to watch out for, and those of us working in the sort of issue-based campaigning world are going to have to continue to innovate on, you know, how we get our issue out there to the forefront of not only the public, but our elected leaders, because there are so many things that, is, that are being discussed, which is great. Um you know, I think it also goes without saying that digital engagement and having a strong social media presence is crucial to any campaign these days. But I think we're seeing how fast these mediums change and how important it is to keep up with the trends. So the way you'd engage people on social media is literally different today than it was even a year ago. Um, you know, for example, we've been doing more with Instagram stories lately. Mm -hmm. And we recently we recently created a map quiz where people have to try to name nine countries that are identified as the toughest places for a girl to get an education. And we thought it would be fun. And it's gotten around, I know it's at least like two million people to take it. Um, you can take it on, make a shameless plug, you can take it on one.org. But these types of tools are, you know, they're fun, but they're also a huge way to build a sense of community within the movement. And people want to feel connected to something bigger than themselves. And I think that's more true today than ever. And social has continued to be a key way to help our members and our followers feel part of that global community that's in this fight together. Yeah. And, and I, I suspect you've had to handle this before. So I'm going to ask the devil's advocate question, which is, what happens when you don't accomplish social change? How do you help people understand that all of their actions was for nothing? Was not for nothing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's I think it's important to be transparent and honest about, you know, 
this this campaign in some ways failed. You know, we didn't do what we set out to do. And the most important thing you can do in that case is to try to reflect and evaluate on why. And um, maybe that was something that was out of your control. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it's a little bit of both. But really trying to learn from those lessons and be able to apply those lessons to future campaigns. It means that, you know, if we learned something, then it wasn't all in vain because we can apply this to be more effective next time. Um, but again, I also think it's about being able to find wins, you know, even when you don't get that bill you were working for passed or whatever it is, you know, did we did we change the hearts and minds of maybe 10 more members of Congress or did we build some momentum for this set of different wins along the way, even if you didn't accomplish exactly what you set out to do and those are important to claim. Absolutely. Well, Jen, hey, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. I know that our listeners are, are, are at this point where some of them are saying we've got to do some advocacy and activism pieces. So uh, any last minute words for that individual who's in that space? I think, no, I mean, I think just, you know, get out there and, and do it. I think the nice thing about advocacy is it can be done from anywhere. And, um, you know, I know, like I mentioned, when I was in college and didn't realize what an impact advocacy could have and taking five minutes to write a handwritten letter to your senator asking him or her to, you know, protect foreign aid or whatever it is that you care about is an easy, tangible thing that actually really does matter and really does have impact. They they listen to those um, communications, those offices tally how many letters and calls they get. And so um, don't ever believe that your voice doesn't have power because it does and it it truly does make a difference. That's great. All right, Jen Frazier, she is the director of college organizing at One. Appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks again for joining us on this edition of the Achieve Podcast. I want to thank Jen Frazier with One and thank you for joining us. We'll look forward to having you next time on the Achieve Podcast.